Welcome to Lead On, the program where we talk about practical issues related to ministry leadership. I'm Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, and it's my pleasure to talk with you each week about practical issues related to leading churches and ministry organizations. Now, I've been doing this for a number of years. And I've learned a lot about what it means to apply the Bible and theology and a Christian worldview into the practical issues of ministry leadership. And so that's what this program is about. It's not really a Bible preaching program so much as it is an application program trying to help us to understand what to do in complex, difficult, sometimes puzzling situations of ministry leadership. Now, last week on the program, I talked about a very important issue, and that is moral purity for ministry leaders. And we talked about the pervasive influence of immorality in our culture today. And I actually even drew from some biblical resources in the book of Proverbs to help us understand how we've been warned about the pervasive nature and the invasive nature of immoral uh, behavior and temptation in our world and how to be on guard against it. And then I talked about last week some practical ways that we can limit our exposure to immorality and strengthen our resolve in maintaining moral purity. And if you remember the program from last week, you know that I talked about two big headings. First of all, limiting exposure to immoral influences by limiting your your TV time, your movie time, and your internet time. By limiting the amount of immoral influence that comes into your life, you're able to strengthen your resolve and maintain moral purity. Then I also talked about the importance of maintaining accountability relationships. And while these can sometimes be formal relationships, and there's not anything wrong with that, I also talked about the importance of managing the more informal relationships and maintaining, first of all, some good friendships with same-sex friends who will confront you, correct you, or stand up to you when they see you drifting in this area. And then I talked about managing uh, uh, relationships in the ministry workplace and talking about how to do that effectively and to manage those situations appropriately. Now, that was last week's program. I won't review it any more than that. But as I wrapped up last week, I realized that there's a whole nother dimension of this issue of moral purity and moral failure that I really do need to address. And so this week, I want to talk about dealing with moral failure. What if it's too late? Perhaps you're already involved in immoral behavior. You're having an affair. You're involved in pornography. You're dabbling with homosexuality or incestuous behavior. You're slipping away to strip clubs. You're connecting secretly online in chat rooms, dating sites, other aspects. What if it's too late? I think about some of the sad situations I've had to deal with over the years and the moral failure that resulted and the catastrophic consequences that came in the church, the ministry organization, family, and personal lives of those involved. Maybe you're there today. You're already caught up in one of these situations. And if you're not, you're a ministry leader who perhaps is dealing with someone 
who is in this situation, or you have recently had to do that, or here's the sad part, it's almost inevitable that you will have to deal with someone in this situation in the future. So, what do you do to deal with moral failure? How do you deal with it yourself if you're involved? And then if you're not involved, but you're managing an organization or a church where this sometimes happens, how do you step in and what do you do? Well, let's talk about some practical steps again for dealing with moral failure. The first step is that you must be completely honest. If you're having an affair, involved in pornography, dabbling with some homosexual or incestuous or any other kind of inappropriate sexual behavior, you're hooked online to a service that's certainly immoral, you're connecting through dating sites or chatting in places you shouldn't be, you have to be completely honest about what you're doing. Choose a trusted confidant, a wise leader, a spiritually mature person who can help you through the process of confession and restoration. And when you identify this person, tell them everything. You have to be completely honest. And in the context of being honest, you have to take full responsibility for your actions. Now, I've dealt with different people in the past who've been caught up in moral failure. And one of the most interesting aspects of how they have moved forward has always been connected to this issue of taking full responsibility. I've observed that people who confess what they've, who, excuse me, who are completely honest about what they've done and who take full responsibility for their actions tend to recover more quickly, more thoroughly, and the organization around them and the people impacted seem to come back to health more rapidly. But when a person maintains duplicity, stays cunning, blames others, shuffles responsibility, that only delays the recovery that can happen. So step one is to be completely honest and take full responsibility. I'm thinking about two different men that I've worked with in this regard. One man initiated an adulterous relationship. When he was discovered and confronted, he blamed his wife. Well, his wife was not sexually responsive. His wife was not fulfilling. His wife had let herself go physically. His words, not mine. And because of her, he made the choices he made. That was his story. And then when I confronted him, he then publicly blamed me, saying that he had come to me for help. Not true. I had actually confronted him. 
that he had come to me for help, and then I had turned my back on him in his moment of need. He did not, he, he didn't, he never really was honest about what he had done, and he refused to take responsibility for his actions. Very closely connected to that in terms of the time in which it happened, another situation arose in which another ministry leader was uh, involved in pornography and voyeurism. He was going to strip clubs. He had come forward when this problem was a more minor problem and asked for help and received some help, guidance, direction, counseling, and accountability. And that had worked for a while, but ultimately he fell back into the temptation and in very significant ways uh, violated those trust agreements and got himself back involved in pornography and going to strip clubs and things like that. Well, when he finally came to the end of himself and was completely honest about what he had done, he took full responsibility for his actions. I'll never forget the, the letter he wrote and the meeting that he had in which he confessed what he had done and which he took full responsibility for everything. He asked for no mercy. He asked for no assistance. He asked to be relieved and to be uh, moved out of leadership. And he asked that it be made public in every way so that no one had any hint or doubt about what he had done. And the response of the church and the people was very, was very much different than he was expecting. He was dismissed from his position, no doubt about that. But because he was honest and took full responsibility, the people rallied around him. They provided him counseling, support for his family, helped him find a secular job. And today, these many years later, I just recently checked on the situation. He's still married, healthy family productive career, never continued in ministry leadership, but did continue as a vibrant, active Christian in his church. And now these two decades later, still has a remarkable story of God's healing in his life. The, ma the major difference in these stories is honesty and responsibility. That's always step one in dealing with moral failure. Second, the second step is to confess your sin and take your consequences. Now, this may be painful and hurtful, but delaying the inevitable will only make the situation more painful and the consequences more intense. When you confess your sin of moral failure, your first consequence will likely be the loss of your ministry leadership position. That's to be expected. You cannot continue as an adulterer, a voyeur. You cannot continue as a fornicator or a, por a pornographer and maintain the relational trust necessary for people to follow you as a ministry leader. So the first consequence you're going to have will probably be the loss of your position. And if it's a paid position, you'll have the additional consequences of losing your livelihood or your income of having to find secular employment or find other ways to support yourself or your family. You're also going to bear the consequences of the shame this is going to bring on you and your family and your church or your ministry organization. It's going to be painful for your children, if you have children, to understand what's happened in their, uh, with you in your life as a leader and your life as a father or a mother. It's going to be painful. But listen closely. Delaying 
the confessing of your sin and the bearing of your consequences isn't going to make this situation any better. It's only going to make it worse. So step up now, confess what you've done, bear your consequences, and get started, get started on the recovery process that has to be lived through. Now, third, resist the temptation. Resist the temptation towards self-justification. You've been honest. You've taken responsibility. You've confessed your sin, and now you're bearing your consequences. But when those consequences start to bear down on you, when you lose your job, you lose your livelihood, you lose your self-respect, you lose the respect of your followers, when your husband or your wife separates from you or emotionally distances from you, when your children are angry with you or upset with you, when all of this starts happening to you as a result of what you've done, self-justification can creep back in. The temptation is strong. There are so many ways to try to justify your immoral behavior. Well, it was my boyfriend's fault. It was my girlfriend's fault. It was my spouse's fault. It was my mother's fault. It was my father's fault. It was my church's fault. It was my children's fault. It was the world we live in. It was the devil. Stop whining and stop self-justifying and recognize that none of these supposed sources or causes are the reason that you made a choice to engage in immoral behavior. You made the choice yourself, and you can't justify it by blaming it on someone else, some other influence, some other organization, or some other movement. Stop self-justification. Now, fourth, a fourth step in recovering from moral failure is to do all you can to repair the damage. And be prepared. This is going to take a while. Now, I have seen churches and ministry organizations where they have a service and a pastor or a leader confesses to immorality, asks for forgiveness, Someone says, the Bible tells us to forgive, so we're going to forgive, and they do so, and then try to quickly move on. This is denial of the reality of what's happened in its rawest form. It is unrealistic to think that you can confess this kind of sin, be forgiven, yes, but then that restoration will happen instantaneously. Immoral behavior damages relationships it undermines trust. It creates all kinds of fractures in organizations that have to be healed over time. Wounded people, wounded relationships, and wounded churches need time to heal. So don't buy into the myth that you can confess adultery be forgiven, and all be forgotten over one long weekend. That simply doesn't happen. So you have to be prepared to do all you can to repair the damage. Now, what you can do may be limited. This is one of the hardest things about moral failure, and that is the damage that we've done, we can maybe repair it a little bit, 
but it takes time for the healing to fully take place. So no more words that you say or actions that you do are going to cause this healing to take place. It's just simply going to take some, some people time to recover from what's happened to them. And then finally, in spite of how negative this has sounded so far and how troubling and difficult it may seem, restoration is possible. Now listen carefully. That does not mean that restoration to ministry leadership is always possible. In fact, it's seldom possible. But when I say restoration, I mean restoration of your marriage, restoration of your family, restoration of your Christian witness and Christian service is all possible. No, you may not ever be fully restored to your former ministry leadership responsibility or your former ministry leadership role, but you can have full restoration of your relationship with God, your relationship with your family, your relationship with your spouse, and the relationship to some of the people that were damaged by what you've done. Now, I say some of the people because in my experience with dealing with moral failure, there's always what I call collateral fallout that really can't be recovered. People leave a church or an organization and move away to another place or go to another location or go to another setting, and they never can be found or recovered. So you're not going to be able to heal up every single thing that's ever been done because of moral failure, but you can have a significant amount of restoration. Now, again, I want to underscore, this takes months and sometimes years. Le leaders who've been restored work through the process I've just described of being completely honest and taking responsibility and confessing sin and bearing consequences and resisting self-justification and working at the hard, arduous, difficult relational connection work of rebuilding those relationships and repairing the damage. Yes, all that's being done, and it sometimes takes weeks or months or even years. There are no shortcuts. The process can't be rushed. To be restored like this requires an honesty and a confession, a taking responsibility, a resistance to self-justification, and the hard work, as I've already said, of building and rebuilding all of these damaged relationships. But it can be done. It can be done. In fact, some of the most profound stories I know in the Christian community are of people who lived through this kind of process and came through it on the other side, profoundly changed as people and profoundly better as Christians. I'm thinking about one friend of mine. He was a young pastor, very capable, very successful, and his church grew rapidly. But then he got involved with another woman in his church in an, in, in an immoral relationship. It led to an adulterous relationship that went on for some time. When it was finally revealed the devastating consequences were like a bomb being dropped on this church. It blew into a thousand pieces. 
Dozens of people left the church in anger and frustration. Some went to other churches, but some just gave up on the Christian movement and quit altogether. This family of this minister was fractured. His wife divorced him. His children disowned him. The woman he was involved with, he ended that relationship and her relationships also disintegrated in the same way his did. Now, I came into this situation after all of this disastrous activity had taken place and saw what happened next. This man moved about 150 miles away to a major city, got a minimum wage job, and moved into what could only be described as a flophouse apartment. He was literally living in a one-room apartment that was not much bigger than a closet, working a minimum wage job. This gifted minister of the gospel with a master's degree and with uh, oratorical gifts that were amazing and with uh, just a personal touch of connecting with and working with people that was fantastic, reduced to a minimum wage job in a flophouse apartment. But when he hit rock bottom, he did what we've described in this show today. He was honest and he took responsibility. He confessed his sin and he took all his consequences. He resisted the temptation of self-justification and he started on the hard work of repairing the damage that he had done. I watched him work on that repair for a decade. 10 long years. Over that 10-year period of time, he restored his relationship to his family. While he did not remarry his former wife, he did develop a platonic relationship that enabled them to have an extended connection to their children, and those relationships healed so that he had a relationship with his children and later his grandchildren. As best he could, he reached out to former church members and people that he had wronged and hurt and made the relationship right with as many of them as possible. He reconnected with church, a different church in a different context, a different city, and was very open and transparent with the church there about what had happened to him and slowly and painstakingly over a decade started rebuilding his Christian witness and his Christian life. And after that, 10 years went by. I did what some people thought was unthinkable. I invited this man to speak to a pastor's and wives retreat and to tell his story. When I first asked him, he said, I can't do that, Jeff. You, you don't want to embarrass yourself or your convention of churches by having me speak. I don't speak anymore anywhere like that. that those days are past. I said, no, you are going to speak this one time. And you're going to tell your story of what happened to you and of how you've recovered over this decade. And you're going to warn these pastors and their wives about the cost of moral failure and about what it takes to recover. And you're going to implore them, plead with them, beg them if you can to not ever let anything like this happen to them. He came and spoke at that conference you could have heard a pin drop. And when he finished, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Everyone understood the depth of his sin and the breadth of the grace of God 
to bring him through a decade-long recovery. My friends, dealing with moral failure is difficult, but it can be done. If you find yourself today already too late and trapped in this kind of situation, follow the counsel I've given today on the program. Come out of it and start the process of recovery. And by God's grace, he will see you through. You can do it. It'll be one of the hardest things you've ever attempted. But you can do this as you lead on.